We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, April 4th, 2022. We are in the week of opening day, just four days away, and we got a lot to talk about. Our plan was previewing the Chicago White Sox 2022 bullpen, which we will later in the show, but the news continues to come in for the White Sox over the weekend. On Sunday, the White Sox make another trade, this time with Toronto to acquire catcher Reese McGuire. The return? Zach Collins, the former 2016 first-round pick for the Chicago White Sox. So for those keeping score at home, the White Sox no longer have their 2014, 2015, both 2016 and 2018 first round picks in the organization anymore. And that's not all. In Saturday night's spring training game, as Lance Lynn was trying to build up enough endurance as he was approaching 85 pitches, he left that game limping off the mound. An MRI later, and it was discovered that Lance Lynn has a slight tear and his right knee tendon. The recovery time? Looking like eight weeks, which means the White Sox starting rotation will have to include the likes of Ronaldo Lopez and Vince Velasquez for April and May games. Oh, and Sean Manaya was traded to San Diego. Because of course. Joining me to sort through the news is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Jim, the news doesn't stop. Let's talk about Lance Lynn first. What you know, do you think about the impact of Lynn's injury will be to the White Sox? Oh, well, it was funny when you said it's the week of opening day, and I thought it is. <laughs> just, I mean, I, <laughs> no. I I know it is, but hearing somebody else say it, and it just like it, it feels based on the stream of news coming in and everything we still have left to do. It's like six weeks of spring training and three weeks of spring training. Yep. Uh, every time I understand or hear or read that it's opening day, I get a little shock through my system saying like, oh yeah, because like, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I put my head down to write about some other injury or some other trade that's happening or some other trade that 
doesn't involve the White Sox that's happening. Just it, it feels like still early February uh, and mid-March and early April all at the same time. And depending what I'm working on, uh, I, I forget what month it is. But yeah, when it comes to uh, Lance Lynn, it, it's not good news. We'll start you know with the obvious. Mm-hmm. It does have the air of inevitability, though. Like even going back to last year and just how he was uh, babied a little bit down the stretch and with the White Sox not playing clutch games, uh, you know, anywhere from like, you know, early August on, uh, you know, along with not having, feeling like they had their medal tested at any point over the course of the last two months of the 2021 season, it also felt like we didn't exactly know just how severe any conditions were because nobody... You know, everybody could be, uh, you know, on the injury list for as long as they needed to be because uh, nobody was closing the gap on them in the central. Uh, if somebody had a short start, uh, you know, and, and threw only 70 pitches, that was probably prudent. But we don't know, like, if if Tony La Russa really needed him to go six or seven, could he have? Like, there, there's a lot that wasn't known from mm-hmm. the last two months of the season just because of the lack of pressure until the ALDS rolled around. So... When you watch how he was throwing the spring and how he was kind of talking around it with his characteristic, um, you know, either gallows humor or just, you know, whatever, Midwestern sensibilities about his uh, aches and pains, there was a sense that like, this is kind of unfinished or, you know, there, there's no closure on this. So I guess this gives it that closure. And I think if, uh, you know, this knee surgery had to happen at any point, right before the start of the season is better than most other times when it comes to 2022. So uh, looking at it that way, or if you have the idea that this is going to happen at some point, I guess now is the best time, even if it does make Reynaldo Lopez a little bit more important than you want him to be on day one. And even if Dallas Keuchel's rebound is now more important and Michael Kopech, you know, has to be able to throw every five days. Like it could be worse. Like if this happened late May, that'd be far worse than, uh, beginning of April. So that, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. How do you think the White Sox will fill in the void with Lynn not being available in April and May? Well, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of arms, you know, right now when you're talking about the bullpen and thinking about like, well, Jose Ruiz doesn't seem to have a spot as long as Garrett Crochet's here and long, as long as Craig Kimbrell's there. And all of a sudden, like, and, you know, well, Ruiz has a spot, which isn't bad because he served a purpose mm-hmm. last year. I guess Ryan Burr has a spot, which isn't bad because he served a purpose last year. He had some moments and and was improving towards the end of the season. So these guys who got bit parts or low leverage parts, they'll still have those innings. And that's fine. Like Bennett Souza can step up. He's had a nice spring and he's, you know, for his humble origins as a senior signing out of Virginia in the 10th round for $10,000. Like he's done everything the White Sox have asked of him and more coming up. So, you know, with the lights out spring, may as well give him a shot. So, Right now, you know, they're not calling on anybody who you wouldn't expect. I think you know, maybe you see some Jimmy Lambert if he's ready to go or pair him with Vince Velasquez and hope you get three innings. Like you could see some tandem piggyback type starts trying to get uh, you know, three innings out of guys, uh, or you know, say if like you know, Lambert has to throw three innings. You send him down, you play some uh, up and down, push and pull type stuff with the uh, last man on the roster spot, especially with, uh, um, you know, roster being a little bit more flexible in the early going. But I imagine there will be some improvisation. But I think, you know, you, you have Giolito, Cease, 
uh, Keuchel, Kopech, and then you know Lopez probably the first to go. Velasquez there, um, and then all those bullpen guys I mentioned just filling in innings as need be. I'm I'm sighing because we're going to get more into this, Jim, with the bullpen preview. My concern is that the White Sox bullpen is at risk of getting burnt out in the month of April uh, because they're really going to have to be leaned on. Now, the White Sox are not the only team going to have to deal with this same problem. I I think we're going to see bullpens really leaned on early this season, and I think that's going to have an effect on many contenders late in the year on how they're going to handle their bullpen and what new faces they, they can add or which relievers they could possibly develop internally to help carry the load. I just feel like the White Sox bullpen now, after Giolito and after Cease, you got three guys that I'm not sure that could, they could go five innings consistently, Jim. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the bullpen's going to have to at least every three out of five games may have to pitch 15 innings and carry the majority of the workload in those games and hope that Giolito and Cease are ready to be effective and can go deep into their starts. And if they cannot, and if they struggle out of the gate, well, hopefully the offense hits. (laughs) Uh, You know, there was something, someone mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, Tom, he he tweeted at me, you know, last Mm -hmm. year it was the pitching that had to carry the offense early because of injuries. Now it's vice versa. The offense is going to have to help support the pitchers and give them enough run support so we're not stressing out. And then the White Sox pitching staff is not stressing out so much. Uh, So if Keuchel doesn't bounce back and if Kopech struggles with a starter's workload, Mm -hmm. obviously starting pitching is the number one list, a number one item on Rick Hahn's shopping list right now. But do you think he waits until July, right before the trade deadline, to see what he's got in Lance Lynn before making a move? Or do you think that Rick Hahn maybe is, even right now as we speak, trying to find someone outside of the organization that they can add and help out fill this void? I would say he's probably looking right now like James Fegan you know, had the White Sox uh, on Manaya until he went to uh, San Diego. So when you look at, uh, you know, the fact that Frankie Montas is still around, just, you know, I guess we have to treat him like we did Manaya, like as long as guys are on the block and theoretically attainable with what the White Sox have, you know, it basically cost what the White Sox have. They could maybe get something done. When I look at the, yes, first month, and as you mentioned, like they're not going to be the only team dealing with this. It really does feel like April, you know, as much as people like to see the White Sox, you know, blast out of the gate with a, uh, you know, finishing like, you know, seven games over 500 for April and uh, having a four game lead in the division and, and getting ready to cruise. Like to me, it seems like it's just going to be about survival and keeping all ducks in a row. Because I think as you meant, as you outlined it, like it's there could be some very long games and very uh, tenuous stretches of bullpen management and trying to get two innings out of this reliever and trying to get four innings out of the starter who might only go three uh, normally. Uh, 
and I think every team is going to be dealing with that to some degree or another, just because uh, of either spring workloads or injuries. Like even the Mets, you know, you look at uh, how stacked the Mets rotation looked and now DeGrom is hurt and Scherzer probably won't be ready for opening day. So mm-hmm. uh, even the teams that loaded up, you know, are, are experiencing these problems. So it's, you know, as tough as it looks, I, I think every team is more or less staring down the barrel and probably the teams that aren't panicking are the teams that didn't have high expectations in the first place. Like the Royals might not be panicking because they have options. And if they don't click, it's a learning process for them. Same thing with like the Tigers. If if their rotation doesn't all click into place at one time, uh, it's because like they're still young and, and, and figuring it out. And I think uh, the White Sox are... If they're burdened, it's because, you know, everybody's been around the block uh, once. Everybody's had success at least one full season. And if they don't have that kind of success in April, uh, it's going to be a little bit more tense than maybe for other teams that are still trying to to find their way. So that's, I think, what I'm keeping in mind as I evaluate starters right now and going into the rest of April is just like try to get out of April with everything intact you hope that Joe Kelly is ready by the end of the month and, and lengthens the bullpen a little bit. Hope that uh, Lynn is recovering well. Hope that, um, you know, just either Lopez is fine as a fifth starter and, and Kopex, you know, there's a lot of hope involved. But I think a lot of teams, uh, once the rubber hits the road, uh, a lot of teams are going to be hoping for hope. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be, uh, you know, have a couple of rough starts in a row and say like, oh, this needs to get back on track in a hurry. Like this this rotation is capsized and, and uh, you know, I think this is where uh, the, you know, AJ Pollock and, and uh, just having a lengthened lineup is going to help, mm-hmm. you know, they're, if they're going to be more 13 to 10 games in the future, you'd rather see the white Sox uh, be able to counter punch when they're punched. And I think they can. It reminds me like the 2000 Chicago white Sox where they only had a couple of starters that they could depend on. And yeah, they were just out slugging, their opponents. Well, especially like late in the year after Kel Eldred, uh, Kel Eldred broke his elbow and, uh, you know, uh, Jim Parquet were like all these, you know, all their young starters uh, wore down in the second half. Like they could still, you know, just hammer people into the ground. And I think that's basically what they did. And I don't think this White Sox offense is that level, but um, at least, you know, what I like about this offense is that it feels like every inning can start something. Yes. Uh, we've talked about that before. Just, you know, when, when Nick Madrigal was healthy and you looked at the lineup with Elo Jimenez and Luis Robert healthy, that did not last. <laughs> like those three uh, were not healthy at the same time in a year, but like they looked like any inning can start something. And I think right now with Pollock and with, uh, you know, Grandal healthy and Jimenez healthy and Robert healthy, like knock on wood, punch, 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 uh, <laughs> that uh, as long as all these guys are healthy, it feels like that same kind of thing where every inning feels like, this could be a crooked number based on, you know, you know, maybe like Larry Garcia bat second inning and you don't think great about that because he's going to bunt somebody over. But other than that, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think this offense, even if they fall behind early, there could be a lot of just long games early on, a lot of three mm-hmm. hour and 45 minute games just uh, settling this, hashing it out. Yeah, I mean, there may be some games that the only time the White Sox look good pitching wise is the eighth and ninth inning. <laughs> just closing yeah. out the game. Uh, Liam Hendricks may be picking up some seven to six saves uh, <laughs> this season. Uh, but yeah, the White Sox offense, it, it's its the reverse of last year. The White Sox pitching again made up for the loss on offense. Uh, Your Mercedes played a huge factor in the month of April for the White Sox, but the White Sox pitching staff was fantastic in the first half 
of 2021 and allowed the White Sox to build up the lead that they had going into the All-Star break. It's going to have to be the White Sox offense this time that picks up the slack as Lance Lynn is going to miss at least the first two months of the season. And there are already other significant injuries that have impacted the White Sox bullpen, which we'll get to in a moment. The other big news as far as trade-wise, Zach Collins traded to Toronto for catcher Reese McGuire. What should White Sox fans know about McGuire, Jim? He's better than anybody else the White Sox have besides Yasmani Grandal. It's a really cool move. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about, like, Mike Adolfo and, like, the lack of options and being squeezed out of a picture um, and, and how unfortunate that is because of how hard he's worked and how many, uh, uh, how many years and games and, and injuries and rehab stints they've put into it. And like, he just might never get a run with the White Sox or if he does, it might be short because I think another team will claim him, And, and that's unfortunate, but this is a case where it works in the White Sox favor. McGuire is out of options. The uh, Blue Jays have two catchers they like in Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. Uh, they have a, uh, some prospect depth in that position in the minors and McGuire's out of options. So, you know, maybe they can get by with three catchers for a month and hope for an injury. But in this case, like they see Zach Collins, they think like, well, here's a guy who can catch behind Danny Jansen if need be. Uh, but he's got an option left. So it's like basically the way we look at the uh, Blake Rutherford, um, Adam Hazley move, just like buying an extra year, you know, filling the same roster spot in the 40 man roster, but having an extra year to sort it out. That's basically what, uh, you know, the blue Jays did here by getting Zach Collins for Reese McGuire and just, you know, ideally Collins won't be a factor for them. Um, but in the case of emergency, Collins can at least squat behind the plate. He's not out of position there, even if he's not quite truly in position either, but with McGuire, um, you know, <laughs> this is a case where, um, you know, he just happened to be the third most interesting option there, but for the white Sox, he receives better than, uh, you know, Zavala or Collins or even, even like Carlos Perez. He blocks better than, uh, I, I think Perez blocks better than McGuire based on the metrics, baseball prospectus metrics between the minors and the majors. Uh, but he blocks better than Zavala and he throws better than Zavala. Uh, so the kind of catcher you wanted behind Grandal to where like if Grandal got hurt again, you just want somebody who doesn't lose strikes and can shut down the running game and any offensive contributions he offers is a bonus. That's basically what McGuire is. Like he can, you know, he's lefty, so he's going to be facing righties in that role more often than not. And he can, he can get ahead against righties. Like he's not going to be overmatched. He's not like a Jeff Mathis type where a 200 mm-hmm. average is ambitious and it's just all defense and framing and, and game calling. This case where he can, you know, he can do some damage against righties. Uh, so basically this is the kind of catcher, like the White Sox did not have a second catcher in the organization. They had a bunch of third catchers between Zavala and Collins and Perez and, and, and Nick Shufo uh, that, you know, maybe if Perez improves or Shufo kind of puts his former first round stock together that like maybe they can be that second catcher. But McGuire already is that guy. And he's he started, uh, you know, for stretches and here and there. And ultimately he's overexposed or it's asking too much of him to be like an hundred game catcher, mm-hmm. but he can be a 60 game catcher. And if he has to start for two weeks at a time and be the lead guy, like he can do that. So this is the kind of move the white Sox, uh, everybody wanted the white Sox to make. And it's not, you know, it's not flashy. It's not sexy. Uh, nobody's going to be rushing to buy Reese McGuire jerseys and change their cell phone wallpaper to Reese <laughs> McGuire, but it's going to be a move that I think, you know, 
adds the kind of depth. Like there's nothing else to really ask for uh, for the position player side. Like if you want a second baseman, um, you know, sure, they could have improved upon Josh Harrison, but like they have enough depth there in the second base between, you know, Romy Gonzalez and Yolbert Sanchez and then Jose Rodriguez maybe later to where like if uh, by some chance Harrison and Garcia can't get it done themselves, there are internal internal solutions down the road, like maybe a month or two down the road. It can also be thrown in there and maybe provide some upside. So yeah, I think all, yeah, from here on out, or at least from here on till the roster edition period is over whenever that happens to be, that it's really just pitching, pitching, pitching. Yeah, Rick Hahn has at least addressed all of the items on the, the shopping list as far as the offseason, except now he's got a hole in the starting pitching staff. And damn the San Diego Padres, Jim. Damn them. <laughs> every time the White Sox need someone and every time we identify, you know what, this guy would be great on the White Sox. It seems like San Diego gets them every time. Yeah. Every time. Manny Machado, got him. Adam Frazier last year, got him. Hey, Joe Musgrove's interesting, got him. C.J. Abrams. Uh, (laughs) C.J. Abrams, right, got him. Of course, San Diego drafts him. Uh, And now Sean Mania. I didn't even know if they needed him. Everyone's talking about they need, now they have six starters, but now Mike Clevenger is dealing with the knee issue and is going to start the year on the injured list. Uh, so San Diego identified a need and they got the deal done. I think they share a spring training facility with Oakland. So it's very similar to the White Sox and Dodgers and why trades get done so quickly. You can speak to each other in person and get a deal turned around real quick. Uh, that's the advantage San Diego has. And San Diego's also got a much deeper farm system uh, than the White Sox do. And that's how they got Sean Manaya. And I know you bring up Frankie Montas, Jim. All trades hurt. Mm-hmm. To a certain level, you want to aim where everybody wins. I do not think the White Sox have the trade assets for Frankie yeah, Montas. I don't think so. Or like it's going to be don't. more than Manaya, but just given that the return for Manaya wasn't all that impressive, um, and, and he had a year left. Like I think you know when you're talking about like Colson Montgomery versus Gavin Sheets, like I thought you know it was a reach based on what we saw. Uh, starters going for especially starters with one year of control left uh on the market that just it wasn't going to be that great but i think in this case that you know that that conversation more applies to somebody like montas with two years of control uh to where like you know it gets to that point um i, I think like montgomery would be i'm not sure where he'd rank in the padre system probably top eight i imagine uh now that they're kind of thinned out a little bit uh from their stock so i think like you know they could have the uh, prospect stock, but it would, it would, you know, have to be a name that fans are uncomfortable dealing with. And I know we got some, uh, arguments back and forth in my mentions about like Colson Montgomery, um, being untouchable or at least being like, you know, needing to be a, well, I mean, <laughs> I think the conversation swung, uh, pretty violently back and forth because on one hand, uh, you know, we had people, t- you know, following up on our discussion about Colson Montgomery being untouchable. And then you had Phil Rogers on the other side saying that Andrew Vaughn should be the price for Andrew Vaughn plus should be the price for Sean Manaya. <laughs> that drove people nuts on the other what? side. Yeah. I did not see that. Yeah. He said was that, that a Andrew- column or was that a tweet? A tweet like Andrew Vaughn, uh, should be involved in a package going back to Oakland for Manaya. Like, it's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like the, the, the converse, like that's the kind of, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, there's the anchoring effect to where like, if you throw in like one, basically like the first thing mentioned in an argument or during like price setting or whatever kind of negotiations ends, you know, all conversations tend to hover around the first thing mentioned. So I think in this case, we had like uh, polls for the anchoring effect. We had Colson Montgomery, uh, first round pick, but you know, not a top 100 prospect on one side. So tendency to maybe be overrated uh, by Sox fans, but underrated or at least, you know, undervalued by people outside the organization being a, then you had like Andrew Vaughn consensus, top 20 prospect top consensus, top five of his draft class prospect, uh, hasn't done anything wrong yet in the majors. And, uh, all of a sudden he's, uh, yeah, not good enough to headline a start, you know, uh, to, to be good enough for like a one for one deal for, uh, a starter who's been okay and has one year of team control left. <laughs> like it's just, it was, I think the not helpful, uh, context for uh, trying to like discuss a fair price. But I think, yeah, uh, when, he, when we were talking about like Montgomery and Sheets, like, it, you know, I think Montas would be, uh, it, it would take that kind of uh, asking price, but also like, I think, you know, as we saw with San Diego and, and Mania, just like other teams' prospects might be more exciting, even if the White Sox are putting certain players on the block. And there's those that are going to ask about Luis Castillo of the Cincinnati Reds, but it sounds like, he may miss some time due to a shoulder injury. That It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to add quality starting pitching during the season. Hopefully someone breaks out, but if anyone does, I mean, the asking price is going to be insane. And teams may get that asking price because of just how thirsty everyone is, especially the contenders, and trying to add more starting pitching to the rotation. This is going to be like the biggest story in the first half of the season, Jim, is starting pitching. Every team. Every team that's trying to make the postseason this year and win division titles. We don't have enough starting pitching. We don't have enough starting pitching. We need more starting pitching. I I think this is the case where like you have to hope for a Hector Noesi type story. Oh, uh, just like somebody pops free, you know, gets their butts kicked early in the season and, uh, you know, gets, gets, you know, put on waivers and the White Sox claim them thinking that they can teach them one neat trick and it gets by for a while. I think that's the, that's the kind of idea. I mean, that's really hard to do. I mean, most of those cases tend to be like Odrisum or Despagne <laughs> more than, uh, 2014 Hector Noesi, uh, where there's no usefulness whatsoever, but, that's, I think, if the White Sox are going to be able to add to the rotation, it's going to take a story like that, just like just a two-month novelty would be nice enough mm-hmm. and, 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 and seems more likely. I think there's going to be a lot of churn, a lot of transactions, especially as rosters go from 28 to 26, um, and where names can pop free and the White Sox just might want to try anybody. And if it gets that desperate, I think that's what you could see happen if like Montas is a no-go. Well, maybe, and hopefully, Ronaldo Lopez f- rediscovers his 2018 self. And uh, why not Vince Velasquez? Why not? Why not discover your, rediscover your 24-year-old self? Because <laughs> he doesn't have a secondary pitch. Jim, maybe just let Ethan Katz work his magic, man. <laughs> Katz will fix him. Katz will fix him. Katz is going to need to fix him to get through April and maybe for Lance Lynn returns either cats will have to fix them or the socks will need to break them like when it comes to other teams pitchers like just yep yeah yep. it's gonna be there's gonna be some carnage i think 
Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, we will preview the White Sox 2022 bullpen that has questions to answer after dealing with Garrett Crochet's injury. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, let's get into what we originally were going to podcast about, and that's previewing the Chicago White Sox 2022 bullpen. The state of this unit is much different than a week ago. No more Craig Kimbrell, no more Garrett Crochet. So how does this bullpen look going into the 2022 season? And let's start there, Jim. How would you assess the Chicago White Sox bullpen? Expensive? <laughs> I guess it's the first word that comes to mind. Like <laughs> They're no longer spending the most uh, of any team because the Dodgers took on Craig Kimbrell's salary. So now the Dodgers have committed more salary to the bullpen than any other team, but the White Sox are close in their top tier. Um, so, you know, they should be pretty good. There's, they've certainly invested like they're, they're expecting it to be. Um, I think, you know, maybe early on there will be some bumps in the road just because, as we mentioned, they're going to be, uh, you know, a whole bunch of unusual pitcher demands during the first month of the season. But I think by the end of April when Joe Kelly is supposed to come back and, the roster whittles down a little bit and you have you, you see which of the fringe pitchers, the Ruiz, the Burrs, et cetera, are really, you know, put it together this year. And then I think uh, by that point, when you're down to like eight relievers, um, should be a pretty good eight man unit, all things considered. 
let's talk about Garrett Crochet. And who do you think is going to fill his void? Because you still have Aaron Bummer. Mm-hmm. So there's one left-handed reliever with an eight-man bullpen. I assume you would like to have two left-handed relievers. Is it necessary for the White Sox to carry a second left-handed reliever to start the season? I think it is just because uh, when looking at the White Sox bullpen and looking at the righties, you know, Liam Hendricks is excellent against lefties uh, as a right-handed pitcher, but really nobody else had great success. Like even Kendall Graveman had a nice year last year, but he did most of his damage against righties. Lefties didn't kill him, but he just wasn't special against them. And so like a good left-handed hitter might not be phased by somebody like Kendall Graveman. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's my expectations for him. I think Joe Kelly is maybe why the White Sox targeted him aside from feeling like maybe they had a lead on a Kimbrel trade. Um, You know, Kelly seems to be equally strong against righties and lefties. Like he strikes out fewer lefties, but uh, his stuff, his sinker, his uh, curveball, just uh, it seems to have the same effectiveness against lefties as it does righties. So when he comes back, I think you know there will be more flexibility for Tony Larusa against left-handed hitters, especially like that part of the lineup. But early on, with nobody really standing out and nobody who you can like an Evan Marshall type who was great against lefties because he had that like a uh, you know through changeups thirty-five percent of the time and really baffled him. There isn't that kind of guy currently on the White Sox roster from the right side. So I think there needs to be a second lefty. And I think Bennett Souza, as I mentioned earlier, the way he's throwing seems like a very reasonable choice for the first pick to replace Crochet. All right. So looking at the, let's say, the premium relievers the White Sox have, we're going to start with the closer, Liam Hendricks. And Liam Hendricks, once again, one reliever of the year in the American League. Do you think he could win it three years in a row, Jim? Uh, I mean, the way he's throwing it and the way he finished last season, he could. Um, I would think like just the odd say no, but uh, based on his stuff and how he made the key adjustment in season to get people from hammering his fastball out of the park, like the occasional mistake fastball, he fixed that. Um, and and you know, I, I think the story is that's a special assist to his wife who told him how he was tipping pitches and uh and figure it out like over the last month and a half he was great so uh didn't walk anybody didn't give him homers hard to string together hits against him so that's really the um you know the issue like even like with his fastball first approach hard to get wild pitches off him i think like that's the case where with craig kimbrell one of the things that made him so maddening to watch and so uh vulnerable a target for other teams is that like if he walks somebody uh, if he spikes one of his knuckle curves in the dirt, that's a free base. Then all of a sudden you just need a broken bat hit, uh, a misplay, uh, what have you, uh, you know, not even good contact to score a run. With Hendricks, if he's not giving up homers and he's not walking anybody, you got to string together three hits or like an extra base hit and a single, whatever, just those kind of things are hard to come by. So as long as that's the signature to his uh existence as a high leverage reliever uh, of just not giving up bases and limiting homers to a reasonable amount. That's really all you can want from a reliever like him. In 2021, Liam Hendricks obviously had a fantastic year with the Chicago White Sox as he went eight and three with a win loss record. He appeared in 69 games and made 38 saves in 71 innings. His K per nine was a career best 14.32. 
and his walk per nine was 0.89, one of the best strikeout-to-walk ratios in Major League Baseball history. And Liam Hendricks was worth 2.7 war, according to Fangraphs. Zips, looking at the 2022 season for Liam Hendricks, is projecting 68 games for Hendricks, pitching 68 innings, 30 saves, with a 100 strikeout to 16 walk ratio, and a 2.1 war for the 2022 season. And for a closer, that is pretty darn good as far as those projections. So let's get into the over-under. And I'm looking at appearances, Jim. Mm -hmm. Again, we talked about in the first half of this podcast episode, the White Sox bullpen is going to have to be leaned on frequently in the months of April and May. So I'm putting the over-under at 68.5 appearances for Hendricks. He would like to appear in at least half of the games of the season, but we know that manager Tony LaRusso may not want to push his closer that hard during the regular season to try to save some gas for the postseason. So are you going to go over 68 and a half appearances or under? When you look at the probabilities and just the, you know, one injury, if he, if he goes on the injured list for like basically just the minimum amount of time, like that'll make it hard for him to get 70. So the probability says less than, uh, you know, says the under just number of outcomes that can happen, but I'm going to go over just because, he had 69 appearances and 71 innings when the White Sox had that huge cushion over the last two months. If another team tests them, you know, keeps them honest for longer, like say into early September, you know, I, I think it's a case where, you know, all the important innings and save situations and perhaps multiple inning save situations will go through him. Uh, so I think that's a case where, you know, maybe last year he was underutilized a little bit as, as weird as it might say for somebody who threw 69 games and 71 innings, that's normally fine, but he does have the ability to take the ball more often. And, you know, based on just the early uh, workload concerns across baseball, and then perhaps a, you know, maybe a tenser stretch run for the White Sox, I think he can get over 70 this year. I'm going to go over as well. I don't think he's going to get close to 80 appearances, but I'm thinking like 73. I think 75 innings is where he's going to be at again for the season. And I'm I'm seeing 73 appearances for Hendricks. I think he's going to go way beyond 30 saves, uh, way past his Zips projection total of 30 saves in 2022. I, I think Hendricks has got a shot at 40 saves to lead the American League in that category as he picked up 38 saves in 2021. So I'm with you, Jim on the appearances over. Do you think he can get to 40 saves? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, 38, and he had a bunch of blown saves that, uh, you know, the the home run problem bit him mm-hmm. last year. So he blew six saves. So, I mean, like, he's had better seasons as a closer. <laughs> so uh, even just mild improvement to league average for a full-time closer like him would get him there. All right, so let's get to Aaron Bummer, who becomes very important still for the Chicago White Sox. And Aaron Bummer last year, he had he just had some bad luck. And we saw it in the postseason as well. Uh, as far as the defense of sh- uh, shifting or lack of shifting, not being in position to take advantage of all the ground balls that Aaron Bummer creates on the mound. And he just had a lot of bad luck last year. And he was still very productive for the Chicago White Sox as he appeared in 62 games. Pitched 56 at a third innings. He had a 3.51 ERA and his season war total was 1.2. 
And his ground ball rate was 76%, which is just crazy. However, his left on base percentage drastically dropped from 90% in the 2020 season and 82% in the 2019 season when he appeared in 58 games down to 66.4% in 2021. That's some of the bad luck that I'm talking about for Aaron Bummer. In 2022, Zips is projecting 65 appearances for Aaron Bummer, 65 innings, and looking at his war, a 1.4 projection for Aaron Bummer in 2022 with a 3.10 ERA. And Jim, as far as the bad luck, and we've talked about the shifting or lack of shifting, and Tony Roos is not, I don't think he's the biggest believer when it comes to shifting, especially with some past quotes. But for Aaron Bummer this year, do you think he can avoid the bad luck? On on Sox Machine, Patrick, at the end of November, wrote a great uh, you know, post about that luck defense positioning. Just you know, all, all three things, a little bit of just broken bat luck, weird singles that popped up, and then just, yeah, def- defenders not where they're supposed to be. For some reason, like, you know, I, you know, Aaron Bummer should be, he should have like that Zach Britton run to where just he's universally recognized as one of the great relievers in the American League and the numbers back him up and he gets to like a, a run at a closer job and he, you know, his lights out there and all of a sudden, you know, people look at his contract and say like, oh, he's a, he's a huge bargain. Every team wants to deal with him. The White Sox get a fortune from him, but just for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it's the, uh, you know, the luck that we've been talking about, defensive positioning, um, et cetera, just like hasn't come together for him. So I think, you know, I'm, I suppose I'm a little bit pessimistic about bummer. Um, just ever putting it together to where he has that Zach Britton, you know, elite stretch to where just he, he's, he's uh, invincible, especially since, you know, I, I think he kind of can create his own problems by losing the strike zone for, you know, a week or two at a time here and there. I think his command runs hot and cold. So that's why I think like just a little bit, I think bearish on him. Like I understand how his pitches work and that, you know, when he's working, he's basically impossible to hit hard uh, if hit at all. But uh, I think just sometimes he's just a little bit off, whether it's injury or mechanics to where just it's, he has some stretches that kind of keep him out of the echelon. For over under with Aaron Bummer, I'm using innings here and I set the over under at 60 and two thirds innings pitched for Aaron Bummer. Do you think he can go over or under that total? I'm going to say under just because of that um, injury, you know, I guess history, mild injury history, but just in my assessment of just not expecting him to, uh, you know, have that dominant six months uh, that he might be able to have. I think I'm just going to set the bar a little bit lower and say like, yeah, he might get, might be banged up a little bit here and there, and he might be a little bit off to where Tony La Russa has to sit him a little bit, and he just doesn't quite get to 60 innings. I think I would be happy if Aaron Bummer had 50 appearances in 2022, Jim. I just don't see him pitching multiple innings, so I'm also going under as well. I, I think he'll be fine if he makes 50 appearances and pitches 52 innings for the Chicago White Sox in 2022. I, I just... He's going to have to be healthy. He's going to have to be lucky (laughs) and still Mm -hmm. be effective in order for him to have 60 appearances 
in the season and with the three batter minimum. I mean, if you still had Lugies, I would say, oh yeah, Aaron Bummer could have 70 appearances with Tony La Russa managing. May only have 50 innings pitched <laughs> for the season, uh, but he'll be in a lot of games. Uh, I, I think I would be satisfied if Aaron Bummer had 50 appearances and pitched 52 innings. It would be great if he can get up to 60 innings of the season, but I'm also going to take the under for Aaron Bummer. All right, let's talk about the new guy, or the new guys, I should say. First, starting with Kendall Graveman. And Kendall Graveman, of course, started out as the Seattle Mariners' closer and then got traded to the Houston Astros, so the White Sox got to face Graveman in the postseason. The White Sox are buying high here as Graveman, his fastball velocity picked up significantly from 2020 to 2021 by two ticks. His average fastball in 2020 was 94 miles per hour. His average fastball in 2021 was 96 plus, and he had a 1.77 ERA for the season and was worth 1.1 war overall 2021. In 2022, Zips is projecting 64 appearances for 64 innings for Kendall Graveman. Looking at his K per nine, still below 10 as Graveman's not a strikeout artist by any stretch of the imagination when comparing him to Liam Hendricks, which is why the projected war for Kendall Graveman going into this season is 0.5 from Zips, and they are projecting that Graveman will have a 3.70 ERA. Graveman is another ground baller here, Jim. And mm-hmm. how do you think he's going to be used early, early this season? Because, again, there is no Joe Kelly as he's dealing with his own injury. Do you think he's the seventh inning guy or do you think he's interchangeable with Aaron Bummer, depending on the situation? I think there's probably interchangeability based on lefties and righties. Like, as I mentioned, that Graveman is really, really, really hard on righties. And lefties are more, yeah, they can hit them. Um, won't hammer them, but they can hit them. Uh, I think Bummer is similar in that like he can you know he's basically impossible for lefties righties can get lucky against him so i think it's a case where yeah seventh eighth innings just look at who's coming up who might be coming off the bench to hit and uh deploy the pitcher of choice there i, I given the way that larus manages and how he prefers handedness even if the three batter minimum uh prevents him from being uh as a batter to batter as he used to love to be. I think that's the next best thing is having a uh, seventh inning guy and eighth inning guy that he can switch back and forth based on who's coming up. For Graveman, as I mentioned with the strikeouts, he's not a strikeout artist, but that was something that caught my attention looking at the Zips projections is that Zips is projecting 67 strikeouts from Kendall Graveman in 2022 so i'm going to put the over under for kendall graveman at 66 and a half strikeouts jim are you going to take the over or under for graveman in 2022 this was a good over under where i didn't feel like i had a strong opinion uh but i think i'm going to say under just because i wonder if projections are still factoring in like his his uh, innings workload as a starter somehow yeah because looking at his career he has surpassed that total, that over-under, in 2015, where he started 21 games, had 77 strikeouts. In 2016, he made 31 starts. He only had 108 strikeouts and in in 186 innings? Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Uh, really low total. And then uh, in 2017 and 19 starts, he had 70 strikeouts. That's it. So he's only surpassed this total as a starter. And last year, he had 61 strikeouts. So... I'm also going to take the under. Again, he's not really a strikeout guy 
which is going to be interesting early on. And hopefully the White Sox defense, especially the infield defense, can still perform at a high level to help out Kendall Graveman. So when he is getting those ground balls, that they could take care of the work and make sure that they're not committing any errors and they make all the plays so he could still be effective. Because with Graveman, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of balls in play. Because again, he's just not a strikeout guy like Liam Hendricks. So that's why I'm going to also take the under. Looking at Joe Kelly. All right. So Joe Kelly, let's just get into this over-under. And the over-under I have for him is first appearance. And and this is why I want to get straight into this. Mm-hmm. April 30th. Before April 30th, we'll see Joe Kelly. Or after April 30th, Jim? I think after. Hmm. I guess you're paying him the big bucks because he performs in the postseason. And hopefully he's around in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's the thinking here. Yeah, I just get Kelvin Herrera vibes from the signing. Yeah, you don't like it. Like, you, don't, you don't like the signing. Yeah, similar amounts, like just guy not fully healthy and a little bit like mysterious in terms of just you know his spring availability. Like with Herrera, he was coming off the foot injury. His velocity was uh, down spring training. So like, it'll come back. He's Kelvin Herrera. He's come off a foot injury. And it ticked up ever so slowly, like, you know, week to week. But then it topped out like at 96, I want to say. And just then he had to try to cutter his way by and it just wasn't that good. And given that Kelly has the same kind of mysterious uh, status with a nerve injury and uh, that the Dodgers didn't, uh, you know, that they bought him out rather than keep him around for one more year. Uh, I think I want to say his buyout was like, like it was like a seven or $8 million decision for one year uh, based on the salary, the difference between the salary and the buyout. And they decided like, eh, let's not. And then they traded for Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> Kimbrell got lit up in his first outing as a Dodger. So I wonder if they're regretting that already. But when it comes to just the decision they made over Kelly was not encouraging. And so that's why I'm thinking like, eh, I want to set my expectations low. I understand why the White Sox like him, why Tony La Russa might like him, but just... Uh, they've kind of gotten burned by this before a little bit, just banking on his health, uh, coming back too smoothly. And so I want to set my expectations low and say, it's going to take a while. And even when he comes back, it might be a while before he's, uh, the kind of postseason Joe Kelly that the White Sox are hoping for. So as someone that doesn't really like this signing, if Joe Kelly duplicated his 2021 numbers with the Dodgers, where he appeared at 48 games He pitched 44 innings for the Dodgers, had a 2.86 ERA, and overall he was worth 0.7 wins above replacement. Is that good enough for you to be satisfied with the White Sox signing? I think so based on, you know, when he showed up and how many, you know, that he's not expected to be like one of the top three relievers in the bullpen. I still think that's, you know, Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer, Kendall Graveman. So, you know, if he were to be rivaling Aaron Bummer for high leverage work, then I think that would be disappointing. But for me, I'm kind of treating it as like, if you can get four months of excellence from Joe Kelly, whatever four months they are, that's probably a good enough run for this year. Um, just based on what the White Sox might need, how many pitchers they're going to need, the fact that he's you know tough against lefties as well. Like they can... They can use a good Joe Kelly for a while. It just I think they built their bullpen to where like they don't they're not counting on him being as nasty as he can be all the time. I think they're banking or they're baking in some of the his inconsistency and maybe recent health injuries into uh you know how much they're relying on him. After seeing what Colin McHugh signed for, 
and what Ryan Tapera also signed for. I'm wondering if those two guys would have been better additions than Joe Kelly. Yeah, I think Tapera, there's an argument for him just because the White Sox, you know, he already had succeeded with the White Sox. He was probably their best pitcher yeah. in the postseason. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that like he started that beef with the Astros and then leaves. So like when they play again, there's going to be some sniping back and forth, but the guy responsible for it is not there. Um, but yeah, just based on, you know, the, like McHugh, I liked him. I understand like, you know, that he was great for the Rays, but like everybody's great for the Rays. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what makes me nervous is just like, uh, you know, just, uh, once you take him out of that environment, does he stop being special? That's why I like Ryan Tapera seeing what he signed for, just thinking, yeah, that's a guy who already had made the transition to the White Sox in a position where they're counting on him. And he ended up being uh, their best addition by far. So yeah, it's a case where um, that will be an interesting head-to-head -head com uh, competition as the season goes on. Just uh, which one of these guys is better for the price? Yeah, I, again, if Joe Kelly shows up in May and if he could duplicate his 2021 numbers, that helps the White Sox in the regular season. Where Joe Kelly's going to have to pull through is when the White Sox make the postseason and can he help put out fires? Because that's why the White Sox signed him, is that he's ha he has this postseason experience. He has performed at the highest level. That's why the White Sox brought in Joe Kelly. But the fact that here we are, the pitching staff's going to be stressed, and you can't use one of your new toys because one of the new toys is damaged. It's just, it's not a great start, but again, it's all about the finish and hopefully Joe Kelly will remain healthy for the White Sox throughout the season in 2022 so we could see him in the postseason, what he could do, especially try to build the bridge to Liam Hendricks to close out games this upcoming postseason and knock on wood, the White Sox are there and everything works out. And they survive, as Jim mentioned, April and May with the injuries to the pitching staff and the coast is clear post-July because the schedule gets a lot easier for the White Sox, especially after the All-Star break throughout the regular season. But that will do it for this 2022 bullpen preview. There's going to be a lot of new faces that will be joining the White Sox bullpen when they do come. Of course, with the game recaps and Jim's excellent work writing about the new faces on SoxMachine.com. You can read about them as we are still waiting on what the opening day 2022 roster will be, as there'll be 28 guys on that roster. So we'll see who Tony La Russa decides will be joining the team heading to Detroit. The, tri the AAA team, the Charlotte Knights, they have opening day on Tuesday. Uh, so hopefully we know who's playing for the Charlotte Knights five minutes before <laughs> first pitch <laughs> on their opening day, because uh, that will give us some clues on who will be joining the White Sox in Detroit. This upcoming Friday, but that concludes as far as our season previews, as we've already talked about the infield, the outfield, the starting pitching and the bullpen. There's been some new faces that have been added to the White Sox roster. Who knows? Maybe there'll be more new faces that join the White Sox roster before they head to Detroit. We've been kind of speaking it into existence, Jim, in the AJ Pollock mm -hmm. emergency podcast. We we try to speak Sean Manaya's trade into existence. He did get traded not to the White Sox. So yes, we'll see if another move does happen. And if it does, we will have another emergency podcast before opening day. But as far as our podcast schedule, 
We will have our season predictions podcast episode coming up later this week on Thursday, April 7th. Our very good friend Lawrence Holmes from 670 The Score will be joining Jim and I as we dish out our 2022 season predictions. And we'll have our staff predictions as well upcoming on SoxMachine.com. We love to hear what your guys' predictions are as well. So we'll be sharing that information on Twitter, which you could you could follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. You can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh to participate in those questionnaires and polls so you guys can make your predictions before the season starts. And it's always kind of fun to go back to see on how where we were correct and uh, how wrong we were in some areas uh, before the season started. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. If you just discovered Sox Machine, or if you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, you can help support us at, at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, they get exclusive content, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our Socks Machine swag. Our Patreon supporters also get to participate in the Socks Machine Fantasy Baseball League. We just had our draft gym, 30-team Fantasy Baseball League. My draft strategy went out the window after the fifth round. Uh, but thank you so... It's always fun to do that, and it's great. Which... Which pick are you most proud of? Oh, well, I got Dylan Cease in the second round. Okay. And my first round pick was Kyle Tucker. Is there like a mid-round pick that you think like, oh, that, that's, a, you know, like, I'm surprised he was there. Uh, a lot of those guys were going to the second round. Yeah, so I was curious. <laughs> the 30-team draft. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder if like somebody slipped through the cracks to where like, oh, or, or like a late developing roster situation to where like, oh, that's a little bit of savvy there. Yeah, I mean, there was some guys, like I was trying to get Joe Adele, because Joe Adele was dropping after the 10th round. Mm. Did not get Joe Adele. That was someone I was targeting. Uh, but looking at my team here, uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, so I don't know how you feel about Jonathan VR and what he's going to do for the Chicago Cubs, but he's one of my mid-round guys. Oh. Uh, I got Nick Pavetta in the in the mid-round. Okay. Uh, and it looks like Pavetta is going to be the number two starter for the Boston Red Sox. And I got Chris Bassett also pretty late as well in the draft. So I like my starting rotation. I think it's pretty solid. And, you know, I got Mitch Garver at catcher. Luke Voigt. There you go. Hmm. I, I got Voigt in like the eighth round of this 30-team fantasy baseball draft. Uh, so if he could lead the National League at home runs again, that'd be great for my team. But again, my draft strategy went out the window after the fifth round. So I was just randomly picking guys. Uh, and we get to do fun things like that with our Patreon supporters. So again, if you just discovered Socks Machine or you have been following us for a while and you currently don't support us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash Socks Machine where monthly plans start at $2 a month or you could save 9% by signing up for an annual plan. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.